There's an old saying, don't judge a book by its cover. Your outside appearance and the things that you do aren't the things that really matter to God. That's today on our podcast. Hey everyone, it's Karen G from the Tower Hill Communications team. Thanks for tuning in to our weekly podcast. You can listen here each week to catch up on our latest sermon. And we hope what you hear inspires you to want more so you'll continue on your own personal faith journey. Today's message is the second in a two-part sermon series about how to find more joy in your faith. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Good morning, Tower Hill Church Online. I'm Pastor Jason. It's so good to be with you again today as we continue our two-part series on having a more joyful faith. You ever just wish you had more joy in your life or or you don't understand why you don't have more joy? Because we know as followers of Jesus, we should be the most joyous people on the planet. And yet, Sometimes we struggle with that. Why? Why is that? One thing we've been looking at is this question, what is the secret to a more joyful faith? I never asked a room full of people if who needed more joy in their life and had nobody raise their hand. I mean, everybody wishes they had more joy. In fact, that's what we're all pursuing anyway, isn't it? More joy. Now, last week we talked a little bit about, if you missed our sermon series or you forgot from last week, We talked about perspective. Perspective dramatically changes what you see. And having a God-sized view of our lives, both the 30,000-foot and the 3-foot view, and understanding the world as God sees sees it, helps us to have more joy because we play the game with the end in mind. In other words, if we know when we're playing a game that we're going to win ahead of time, it changes how we play the game. It doesn't take away the pain. But the pain always ends in victory. And so with perspective, we said last week, the amount of joy we experience is directly related to our perspective. We said if you were going to have a motto of life, you know, uh, sometimes people say things like every day above ground is a good day. Maybe our version of that, our joyful Christian version of that would be every day I follow Jesus is a good day. Because even when I'm suffering, the goodness of God is working through me for the redemption of the world. Okay, maybe it's not quite so memorable, but hopefully it's really theological. It's theological and makes a lot of sense for how we're to live our lives in joy. Now, aside from perspective, there's something else that impacts how much joy we experience in our lives. And I'm going to start like this. How many of you have ever been to a really exclusive like nightclub right I I don't know nightclubs aren't really my thing you know just the expectation of dancing and I don't know I just uh, it's it's not my thing but for a lot of people it is and if you're really trying to get into an exclusive club how do you get in well appearance right I mean they, they get you in line and they sort of pick who gets to come in only the the most beautiful people get to come in and be a part of it. The more, most interesting people. The most people that will look make our club look as exclusive as it is. And so not everybody gets in. Unless you have a little bit of celebrity to you. 
if Jay-Z gets in line and goes walking up to the club, he's getting in. Why? Because he's Jay-Z. If you don't know who Jay-Z is, that's okay, but maybe you want to Google that. Uh, and if somebody gives us a hard time, he would just simply, just by nature of his status, would have every right to say, don't you know who I am? I'm Jay-Z. I'm coming in to this club. Status is something that impacts whether or not you get in. And in a funny way, it's a little bit what's going on in Paul's letter to the Philippians, is he's trying to deal with an audience who believe their status got them in the door with God. So uh, as a review, uh, we talked about the letter to the Philippians, that it is the book of joy written from a prison cell where he was awaiting his own death sentence. And so we think about Paul as, oh my gosh, he must have a secret or two figured out to how to have a more joyful life if he's in these circumstances. And he does. And so next he addresses this idea of status. So his Jewish audience, particularly those Jews who had um, even become Christian, his Jewish audience believed that their status got them in the door and that the sign of this was circumcision. This was the physical sign that, you know, I'm good. God's going to let me in because, well, I'm one of the chosen. I'm one of the circumcised. Now, I know circumcision is like, it's not a thing for us, and it's a whole different culture. I get it. But back then, that was a sign that you were in, or at least that's what people thought. Hey, don't you know who I am, God? I'm one of the chosen ones. Now, some Jewish Christians were teaching that in order for Gentiles to be Christians, they must first become Jewish. In other words, adult males had to be circumcised first before they became Christians. Like if you're a Gentile, you're a pagan, like, no, no, no. The right hoop is that you get circumcised, you become Jewish first, and then you become Christian. I mean, talk about a new members class, right? <laughs> well, that would be a tough sell. Um, and it was. But listen, Paul was furious over this development because it was just another form of works-based righteousness. It's a fancy way of saying, God forgiving me is based on something I do, not on God's grace. It really is the difference between external religion and internal faith. And Paul was mad, and he let him know it in this letter. So here's how Paul puts it. This is chapter 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. There it is again. We see this word joy or rejoice again. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, uh, this is a funny phrase. Now, there are some scholars who believe this is associated with pagan priests, that He's taking what they thought was the most important thing and he's turning it on his head. And he's saying, no, no, no. It's not even not the most important thing. It's the wrong thing to focus on. And he later on talks about having a circumcision of the heart, which is a really interesting idea. He says, God's chosen people are, are done through the heart, through a heart relationship with God, not through some outer religious symbol. Mutilators of the flesh. I can imagine his audience was really mad when they heard him say this. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. It's not about what we do. It's about what God has done. Though, and I love this part, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, 
If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, none of that matters because it's all about what God has done anyway. It's not about what I've done. None of it matters. It's all loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. And quite famously, this word that's very politely translated garbage is often translated dung, right? He considers it, you know what, uh, that it doesn't mean anything. The only thing that means anything is Jesus and what he did on the cross. All these accomplishments, all the ways that the world sees me as this incredible religious leader, this Pharisee of Pharisees, nothing. All garbage, all dung, if you will. Listen, here's why he's so angry and why he's clear, I mean, mutilators of the flesh. I mean, he's like going for it. He's not mincing his words. And the reason is, Nothing destroys rejoicing in the Lord quite like external religion. What do I mean? Well, you know exactly what I mean. External religion doesn't bring you joy. It often brings you guilt, right? If it's based on what we do, if it's based on our works, if however much God loves us is based on what we do, we're going to be disappointed and we're going to start feeling like God doesn't love us so much. And it's not going to bring joy. It's going to bring shame. It's going to bring guilt. It's going to bring anger. External religion is meaningless. It's sort of like, you know, if I, uh, I, I can't just be a follower of Jesus because I sit in the church every week. That'd be like saying if I sit in a garage all week, I'd become a car. That's not how it works. It's not external religion. It's internal faith. And Paul was really trying to get to this. He says, look, it's not about what you do. It's not about your status that you're going to be let in the door. It's going to happen a different way. Remember, the the status person would say something like, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. When grace says, no, 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 I'm accepted, therefore I obey. In other words, the Christian life isn't something that gets us in the door. It's something that propels us out the door to reach the world with the good news that we've been forgiven. Or maybe there's a way of looking at it like self-esteem versus God-esteem. Self-esteem is like a balloon, right? Imagine a balloon over your head and it inflates whenever something good happens and it inflates how you feel about yourself. You walk into work or you walk into school, somebody praises you for a job well done, get a good grade on a test, right? If you're a kid in high school, you just think about, you know, that that girl or boy that, you know, got your, your eye on and, uh, you know, gives you some attention, Somebody compliments how you're dressed. Whatever it is, your balloon will inflate. You'll feel pretty good. And you walk in the next day and somebody says something nasty to you or they make fun of how you're dressed or whatever it is and, and your balloon deflates. It's so instable. It's, it's always inflating, deflating. But God esteem is something different because it's not based on, on what we do. 
It's based on what God has done. God says, you are made in my image. You are my masterpiece. I've created you with a plan and a purpose, and I love you unconditionally forever and ever. And that balloon stays inflated no matter what ups and downs we go through. External religion is sort of like that self-esteem balloon. It's going to go up and down, but true faith is based on what God has done, and that is a perpetual and constant source, source of joy. So it's not our status that gets us in the door. What is it? Well, it's sort of like I was doing a little research on what are the most exclusive places that you can go to, right? What are the most exclusive clubs, exclusive vacations? And I found this Yellowstone Club in Montana. This is, and it prides itself, it looks like, on how exclusive and private it is. Private golf, private fishing, private excursions, private skiing, private, private, private. And you could... You could have this uh, wonderful club, this exclusive A-list club, um, if you purchase some real estate in there. And you could buy land, you could buy condos, you could buy a home like this one that you're seeing right now. That is one of the kinds of homes that they offer. And this can be all yours anywhere between. Now, if you get a condo, it's only about $9 million. And uh, it could go all the way up to $35 million. And this can be all yours, right? Uh, now, you may be able to afford that, but I can't, although it is Pastor Appreciation Month, so, um, you know, if anybody has got a place there, you know, you're c- certainly, you know, your pastor would really love to. <laughs> okay, anyway, 9 to $35 million. Now, there's no way I'm getting in there, unless I'm friends with the owner, right? So, if one of the owners goes to this church, or you're watching this online, I'm right here. Happy to take care uh, for a weekend. But yeah, I know the owner. So I'd be, <laughs> I'd be rolling in there like this guy, like Cousin Eddie. Like, hey, you know, like I, I would get in not because of my status, but because I know the owner. And I would have the same access to all the amenities as unrefined and maybe as unqualified as I am. Listen, when it comes to access to God or access into eternity with God, into heaven. We have access because we know and are loved by the owner. It's not because of what we've done. It's not because we have accomplished so much. It's because he's accomplished so much and he's letting us in out of love. I feel like once we start to understand that, we start to understand that our faith, everything we have in our life is all about grace. It's not about what we do. God cares very much about what we do, but that's not some sort of qualification or some mark that we have to achieve in order to get in. Paul finishes his thoughts in Philippians 3, verse 9. Uh, All of this is so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's what Paul hung his hat on. It's like everything that makes me right with God is something God already did. I just said yes. I just decided to trust it, to believe it, to put my faith in it. That is how I get made right with God. That's how I am let in. And that is a source of joy because it's not, thank God, it's not based on what I do. It's based on what God has done. Listen, nothing destroys rejoicing in the Lord quite like external religion, but nothing creates rejoicing quite like understanding grace. So what about you? Where do you find yourself in this uh, kind of spectrum between it's based on what I do or 
It doesn't matter what I do, right? I mean, God cares about what we do, but that's not what gets us in with God. It's just his love and his grace through faith. But I thought this would be kind of interesting to just lay out. What are five signs you're stuck on status? What are five, because I think for a lot of Christians who've been walking with God a long time, it, you do, I think, accidentally start to gravitate toward, like I'm earning points with God. And I think that's really unhealthy. And so, uh, and it's really sneaky because we don't always realize we're doing it. So here are five signs you're stuck on status. The first is this. You care about fairness more than you care about grace. Well, how come that's happening to that person and not happening to me? How come that person seems to be getting their prayers answered and I don't? Wait a minute, God. If you're stuck on fairness, I mean, you don't really want to ask, you don't want to go down that road. God's like, okay, do you really want what you deserve? You don't. God is working in ways that we can't understand. And if you're hung up on the fact that you feel like somebody's getting more than you, I think it's a sign that you might be stuck on status. The next is morality becomes weaponized for you. It's not just that you're trying to live in the way of Jesus, in the way of the fruit of the Spirit, but you're, you're calling out other people for their behavior. And if they don't line up the way you think they should, they're out. And sometimes your morality is hitting them like a blunt instrument. That's not the intent of Scripture. That's not the intent of Jesus. That's not how Jesus hit everyday people. The only time, the meanest things that Jesus, or not meanest, but like the most direct and maybe harshest things he ever said were to the religious people, (laughs) were to the Pharisees. Out of love, because he loved them. More on that in a minute. But if morality has become weaponized for you as a way of judging others, That's not good. That's a sign that you might be stuck on status. Why? Well, because I'm doing it right. It's about what I'm doing. That's why God accepts me and loves me. Or maybe third, you have a mantra, God owes me. I've known a lot of people like this. Hey, I've gone to church every week. I have given money to the church. I've volunteered in Jesus' name. And this is the thanks I get, right? God, you owe me. I think that's a sign that you're stuck on status. God doesn't owe you anything. God gave you all that you will ever need and more. No matter how this life on earth goes. I know that's tough because in the moment, that's, we're just thinking about our pain. We're not thinking about the promise. But believe me, God has given us himself, which is more than enough forever. Or four, you've become a self-appointed behavior officer. This is related to the morality piece, right? Self-appointed. God didn't appoint you as a behavior. You appointed yourself. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Don't it? It doesn't mean God doesn't care about morality. God doesn't care about behavior. Of course, He does. But you know, He talks a lot about judging. Jesus talks a lot about this. Do not judge, unless you want to be judged by the same measure. And then fifth is a little bit of a sneaky one. Fifth, uh, fifth sign that you're stuck on status is when you hate Pharisees. Nothing screams Pharisee like somebody who hates Pharisees. Like if you're so angry and hateful toward people who are like this, who are stuck on status, it's a sign that you're kind of stuck on status too. Hating people for this means that you're a bit stuck. 
So what does all of this mean for you? I'm sure there's other things. These are just a few things that I thought of. What, are, what does all this mean for you? I think it means if you're seeing signs of being stuck on status, give it over to the Lord and just let him remind you of the grace that fills your heart and life. Remember to share that grace and live that grace with the people in your life. You are loved and accepted because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, no matter what. And this My friends, brothers and sisters, this and living this and knowing this, God's grace and his goodness is the secret to a more joyful faith. Amen.